Tell me how you been. Tell me how you been feeling. Uh-huh. What, Tell what me how about your day. How was your third vaccine? Uh-huh. Please, this is... is this Come on, Jamie, I need you. Oh, to talk about what you're feeling. Oh, I can't go alone, Jamie. What song is this? Uh, Just Breeze, Pearl Jam. Oh, I only know one Pearl Jam song. What one? Even yeah. Yeah. Exactly that one. Yeah. Did Pearl Jam patent the 90s Caterwall? No, because like Creed also did that. Right, right. Who else did the Caterwall? Did Matthew Good do a Caterwall? What is Creed's song? What is that? What is that one called? It's the one where like with arms wide open. With arms wide open. Yeah. I love how you asked me what that song is. I just need to know the title and then it's I got the whole song after that. <laughs> no. Tony Creed is the is the elevator music that plays inside the cab of your brain. It is. Yeah. It lives in my head red free and I don't even like it that much. <laughs> I know. But it's just yeah. like so fun to sing. Well, oh, my dad says hello by the way oh hey we should get him on the podcast too <laughs> did you hear me hello mr tony i didn't hear him but i saw him <laughs> yeah he's in his um he's in his woodworking shop which is quite sadly the mudroom of the garage he should have his own Space. Well, you've taken up the whole garage. Yeah, that's true. The thing is, he I guess formerly he might have gone up into his attic, except now I suppose it's a bit perilous. You think that's less sad than the mudroom? Dad, well, it's sad. You shouldn't be in the mudroom. Go to the <laughs> attic. <laughs> no, I should have given additional context because he actually built the attic himself as a study room for when he was like actively employed as opposed to retired like 20 years ago. Have you ever been up there? I was up there when I was a child and he could still put me on his shoulders and climb up a ladder. Oh, that's cool. I thought it'd be funny if there was like a, a bunch of stuff he puts up there just out of your reach. <laughs> like a bunch of box of goldfish and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Goldfish. like uh, Smart food popcorn. Yeah, like the lease to an apartment, an accessible apartment in town. <laughs> <laughs> like there's like six cats up there. <laughs> if i found out there was six cats in my dad's attic it would be such a resounding betrayal that's why your mom's like no more pets we have six upstairs yeah yeah away away from jamie (laughs) they're all named jamie There's like James, Jim, Jamie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, that's the best joke ever. (laughs) Oh God. How was your day? You got the vaccine. I had a really stressful day because I don't understand why this happens. But like I have two people in my life that I like that are friends of mine that I have a history with that I talk to regularly for multiple purposes who think that vaccines are like potentially harmful Mm. and 
I don't agree with them, or I should say I don't want to agree with them. But uh, for some reason, despite knowing better, I still allow the people who make me scared to fuel my anxiety, as opposed to the people who are ostensibly professionals. Uh, I, I don't really let them quell my anxiety, which I think is kind of the nature of fear itself. <clears throat> like, you know, we prioritize the things that are a potential threat to us. So that is to say that I was nervous about my booster because there's all these like bullshit articles from websites called children's health medicine defense.org <laughs> that, that say, you know, uh, it's a cumulative effect, the harm of vaccines and of, you know, inflammation of the heart. And if you're a wheelie with CP who's like balding a bit and is a little bit obsessed with TV shows, you'll probably have a heart attack. And so it's kind of like I was nervous today as I am every time I have to leave the house during right before COVID. they gave you the shot where you're like, just so you know, I like TV shows. <laughs> yeah, just- that's actually, yeah. You know how they give you that sheet of paper where it's like all the things that they ask if you have. Yeah, like, uh, are you allergic to eggs? Do you like Sopranos? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you? Do you have a slight unhealthy obsession with James Gandolfini? All right, right. So, uh, I had to answer yes to one of them, and the doctor was like, "Okay, how bad is your obsession?" And I did my impression. I was like, "What the fuck? What do you mean? How bad is my obsession?" And then they're like, well, it's not a very good voice. And then they stuck me in the arm. They were like, right arm for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they gave me a, a dose. So what was stressful? Like the the actual getting of the vaccine? Or like like the process of having to leave your house in the middle of winter yeah. during a spike? Like leaving my house in the middle of winter with my dad, who's like 79. And like, you know, I trust my dad and I care about him a lot and stuff, but I know it's like a lot of uh, work. And so, we, you know, we, we, the, there's snow everywhere and we, we get to the Coliseum, uh, which is where they're giving the jab and nothing is shoveled. So there's like a foot and a half of snow on the ground and it's relatively packed. But as you know, in a manual chair, you could hit even the most infinitesimal of bumps and your whole life will flash before your eyes? Oh, yeah. I broke my arm in a manual chair once. Just because I hit a piece of gravel the wrong way and my chair flipped over. Do you save these little tidbits of trauma, like, to shock me? You know, Jamie, I have such a rich, deep history <laughs> that I could never possibly download it all to you in an episode or two. <laughs> you have to give it out piecemeal so as to maintain Just the... more mysterious yeah 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 well i understand the not wanting to lather on the hardships of your life too too much i mean it wasn't that big of a deal but no just a broken arm everyone breaks an arm on a frequent basis i think everyone does it was like a rite of passage for me i was like yeah yeah. it's like the most able-bodied thing i've ever done I mean, it's like it's pretty much tantamount to stubbing your toe, right, Tony? It would be really embarrassing if I broke my arm, like, getting dressed. So embarrassing. That would be embarrassing. Yeah, you should be ashamed of breaking your arm while getting dressed. I would be. Yeah, and not the person who's helping you and then being inept and haste and, and, and unthoughtful. No, I would take all the shame. Yeah. So... You went to the Roman Coliseum, which is a hilarious thing <laughs> no. for Thunder Bay because I, 
Thunderbird loves how Italian they are. I think it's just actually like a bingo hall. I don't, yeah, of course, or or like a rec center or some place where they have shags. You know the term shag, but like an orgy. Well, no, no, not not uh, a big Italian sex party. <laughs> yeah, where everyone exchanges spicy meatballs. No, what do you what do you picture as an Italian sex party? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Gabba Ghoul. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. I don't want to be anti-Italian, okay? I'm sure we have lots of Italian listeners. I'm Italian. I can say this. Yeah, but you're not Thunder Bay Italian. That's true. You're not like a proud Italian. I mean, I'm proud of the food that we created. But you don't eat any of, of it. You eat mostly like Indian medleys. I eat pasta. I had lasagna for dinner today. Oh, <laughs> I'm offended. You think that way about me? <laughs> Let me tell you about another time I broke a bone. <laughs> Who am I to tell you how authentically Italian you are? <laughs> like I went to one Coliseum Rec Center, and all of a sudden, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, they have meatballs at sex parties. I know this. <laughs> Shut up, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's it, it was just stressful getting there and then getting the shot and then, you know, like bracing for after effects. Did you guys get absolutely dumped on with snow yesterday? We totally fucking did. And all throughout the day as well. In fact, I'm pretty sure my dad and I went, went to get the shot like during a lull in the storm because it snowed like ferociously afterwards. Yeah, it was crazy here yesterday. Like record-breaking numbers, but my like a foot and a half of snow. I didn't like get to the gist of my story. So my dad basically this the snow is so deep that my dad had to pull me from a reverse direction or whatever, like going backwards. Yeah, because the big wheels are on the back of the chair. Yeah, and the small wheels can't really climb any sort of obstacles. So if you have to do any sort of terrain, you have to go backwards first. Exactly. And it's just, you can, you can go forwards, but you have to be extremely mindful of what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I was like holding on to some stuff. So I couldn't like keep myself braced in the chair while he was pushing. So it was like, it was just cold and like snowy and it took us like longer to get across the parking lot than it did to like get the shot. Every time you feel like you're going to flip, you're like, God, you know that the effects of vaccines are cumulative and it's not good. We should just go home. The snow in the parking lot is probably more harmful to my long-term health than the uh, vaccine. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> you know, like risk of breaking a limb after tumbling out of the chair. And my yeah. poor dad is like 80 and that level of effort yeah. is basically like at least as much as like snowing or shoveling a driveway and he does it like he's the type of guy that just does it without thinking like he's like he's autonomic i have to push my son across the street now and he doesn't like complain ever or bitch and moan so like you know he'll do it without even being asked which is an amicable quality but it's also something where you you kind of feel like oh i'm kind of exploiting this like maybe i should have arranged to have somebody else do this I'm sure he's happy to bring you to the vaccine and get like I'm sure I'm sure he's not ever resenting you. I remember my dad has like pushed me through the sand dunes in Alberta and like 
like all sorts of ridiculous terrain, my dad. You guys were like, on the set of the movie Dune? Like the Badlands. The bad? I don't know what you're... Yeah, it's like the... I failed geography. The, the lands that are like morally... They got twi- They got canceled on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah? Oh, that sucks. Yeah, like my dad pushed me through the Badlands like a madline. We always... Actually, this is one of my favorite running uh, themes on the podcast where we like praise our parents. You know, I like doing that. It's fun. Yes. Yeah, last podcast, last episode, I was complaining about an argument that I had with my mom. So this episode, I praised my dad. And then next episode, I'll praise my mom. Did your mom not go with you to get the vaccine? No, she had a, she had an, a different appointment today. Oh. So she could not attend. Okay. She's been reading too much of child health safety medicine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, d- defend the... It's always such strange titles. Yeah. Like <clears throat> defendthepuppies.org tells you like don't <laughs> don't get the vaccine. Frozenvegetablesrs.com. <laughs> so how is the actual vaccine? No, you're fine. You don't feel any I'm, ill effects. I'm kind of loopy right now. That's awesome. Did you notice? Maybe you should do the vaccine before every episode. <laughs> <laughs> can't get drunk so may as well just get an mrna vaccine <laughs> do you feel like you're like oh i remember what this feels like it's it's a kind of loopiness without the euphoria so yeah you just feel like a little off yeah like that feeling when you're overtired so you say things maybe you wouldn't or you veer into silliness that you would otherwise think was ill-advised well i'm never going to be one to discourage you from veering into silliness that, yeah, silliness is a cornerstone of your character. Yeah, that is what I want to be on my tombstone. So I also had an interesting day. Okay, tell me about it. I had an appointment with a neurologist because... A scheduled appointment? Yeah. Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been checked into an insane asylum. <laughs> and I'm recording this from Four Padded Walls. Uh-huh. No, um, so... That's, maybe we've talked about this. For my disability, there are some medications that are sort of popping up in the world that should, in theory, help me. There's three that are currently approved by Health Canada, uh-huh. although one of them I'm not eligible for because you can only get it before two years old. And then two of them I am eligible for, but they're also the literally the most expensive drugs ever sold or something like that it's like one of them is 2.8 million dollars one of them is like a hundred thousand dollars to two hundred thousand dollars a year for some pills anyway it's insane did martin scarelli like invest in them on the stock market or something seriously yeah they've already made their money back like 10 times and they still won't reduce the price anyway all that one of the one of the actual medications is this thing you have to get injected into the base of your spine or sometimes into the base of your neck, into your spine, while you're awake and during like an MRI or a CAT scan so that they can see where they're going. <laughs> It'd be funny if that just continued to escalate. <laughs> like while you're awake. While your heart is on the table. <laughs> and they're electrocuting you. <laughs> Yeah. And they have an intern taking a buzzsaw to your femur. 
and they feed you live rats. And and a nurse tickles your midriff the entire time. <laughs> anyway, I was talking to this neurologist, and she's really, really cool. That she was. Uh, I asked her questions that I've about how my disability works genetically that I've never been able to have explained to me in ways that I stupid my stupid brain can comprehend. And she was able to explain it to me over Zoom. She's like, usually I'll just write this down for you or draw it out. But let me just explain it. And it was so easy to understand. I feel like I understand my disability in ways that I've never understood in 30 years. Isn't that kind of strange that there could be a class of medical professional that can tell you more about your like objective physical experience than people closest to you just from studying something? Yeah, like she knows a lot of people with my disability, but I had never met her before. And she, yeah, I, I just, I honestly can't wait to talk to her again. We ended up running out of time and she had to kick me out because I just kept asking her questions. <laughs> she was like, I have to go. It's like you met the crippled Oracle, like in the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't some pedantic piece of shit asshole surrounded by CRT screens. It was like an empathetic, interesting a professional who just wanted you to be able to further understand yourself? Well, speaking of which, at one point, she's like, well, you know, like, it's up to you uh, how you want to proceed in terms of, like, you know, trying to get these medications approved or whatever, whatever. Um, You're a very smart guy. You'll figure it out. And my instinct when I get a compliment like that is always to just squirm or deflect or make a joke. But what did you do instead? No, I did. I just like <laughs> gave her a look that was like, oh yeah, okay, you clearly don't know me very well. And she was like, no, actually, uh, people with SMA have statistically significant higher IQs than people Dang. with other disabilities. Does that imply that your IQ contributed to your disability? So I was like, is that causal? And she's yeah. like, well, we don't know for sure. And I'm like, well, maybe it's just because I spent my childhood years like thinking instead of doing gymnastics. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, no, I don't know if that's it because statistically, people with SMA are like more likely to be successful in their careers, more likely to be directors of something. Oh, damn. It was really interesting. I've always wanted to be a director of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Maybe if you get SMA. <laughs> Okay, well, but hold on. So that's really cool. Firstly, like a slew of compliments. Well, I mean, like, obviously, I am the outlier on that, but it's cool to know that there are. Fuck you, outlier. (laughs) It's cool to know that they're putting so much research into this stuff now. Apparently, my disability has sort of de facto become, as she said, the prototype for uh, a lot of gene therapies because of how my disability works genetically. It's like a good gateway disability for testing. So there's a lot of drugs on the horizon right now, apparently. This would be like a huge ego boost for me if if I went to a CP doctor. Turns out people with CP are genetically the most attractive. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, but they're strangely like a statistically high number of them 
are fans of Gandolfini. It's very strange. Would you feel better knowing that? Or would you feel like, oh, I'm not special? No, I sort of have felt that way from like people telling me that I have like uh, autistic tendencies. <laughs> Another thing she told me that was really interesting is that sometimes she'll see a person like me. I've never been genetically tested for my disability. But now, because when I was younger, they didn't have the technology, basically. Now they do. It's really easy. It's just a blood test. And they can confirm that you have CP. Or sorry, SMA. (laughs) Um, Sorry, I just wanted to be very attractive for a second. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, it's contagious. I don't blame you. So you can present as having SMA by all measurable standards and then genetically not have it. So there are mimicking diseases out there that they can't diagnose that look just like my disease, but is not genetically mine. So then you you need to get this blood test because you may not even be suitable for the drugs that are meant to treat SMA? Yeah, you do have to get the blood test before you can do any trials or anything. Uh So I'm going to do that. But she's like pretty certain. She says it's very, very rare that she sees someone like me who presents the way I do that doesn't have my disability. But also she was telling me about one of her patients who has SMA presents, you know, as someone with SMA would. And his brother is like, she, as she said, basically Superman, like an athlete, super athletic, super strong, like not disabled in the slightest. And she got him tested he also has SMA. How, what does that mean? He just has a slower progressing version? They don't know. So that's why they're wondering if there's like a protein that he has that somehow counters the protein that I'm lacking. Well, but if he has SMA, then that means by definition that his spine is atrophying over time, right? No. So your spine produces, I'll probably be butchering this, but my understanding of it is that your spine produces an SMN1 protein and an SMN2 protein. Both of them, your body needs to basically let your muscles grow. Mm -hmm. And it's a nervous, it's a protein produced by the spine. So all of the muscles attached to the spine get this protein. And my genetic defect is that I I don't have the gene to tell my body to produce SMN1, which produces about 90% of this protein. SMN2, I still have, but it only produces about 10% of your body's SMN protein. And so the gene therapy basically tricks your body into getting the SMN2 gene to produce more SMN2 proteins so that you can try to make up for lost SMN1. But could that reverse some symptoms that you have or just prevent you from escalating? Yeah, she said like probably best case scenario, it might slow things down. Maybe I'd feel a bit stronger in certain ways, have a bit more energy or like maybe be able to move my fingers a bit more or like talk a bit more clearly. But beyond that, like I would never walk or something. Okay. But... For kids now, under two years old, you 
can get this drug that's out there that's ridiculously overpriced, criminally expensive, and basically never have symptoms. Oh, like stop the disability in its tracks. Yeah, so you have to take it uh, when you're young enough because apparently they put it in a disease. I learned so much. They put it in a virus that gets absorbed by your liver, but as a baby, that's fine. But if you get after two years old, your liver starts to realize that that's a virus and kills the virus in its tracks. Oh. So then the, the, the drug doesn't work. So you just need to find yourself a dumb liver. Or they could put it into a newer virus. I made a joke, like, why don't you just put it in COVID? That seems to be good. She was like, well, we don't want to make a person with SMA sick. Yeah, that makes sense. It's crazy. I learned so much. Also, the one maybe most annoying thing I learned is that even though there are three these three drugs that Health Canada has approved, that doesn't mean that it's covered, right? And so it's very, very hard to get them covered. She said, like, a few people who work in, like, the federal government sometimes can get it covered because they have super good insurance. In Quebec, they pay for it for you. The government pays for these dr- drugs. So realistically, I could just I could just move to Gatineau. But then you got to learn French. Oui, je sais, je sais. Yeah. That wouldn't bother me. No. <laughs> I don't know if I... I... <laughs> yeah, okay. Quebec also pays for your modifications to your vehicle. Really? Why are the French so good to wheelies? I don't know. What the fuck, French people? I'm trying to figure that out. I ate poutine every weekend as a kid. Does that make me like a little French? When you were living with your mother and she didn't care what she fed you? It was like my treat every Saturday. Your treat? I would go, I'd wake up in the morning, go to the ski hill, ski for an after uh, for the morning. What are you talking about, ski hill? <laughs> are you joking? Jamie, I've lived a rich life. <laughs> what the I've fuck are you talking experiences. about? experiences. Ski hill. I couldn't possibly download my experiences to you in an episode. Did you stay with your mother at like the Overlook Hotel or something? <laughs> the Shining. Because of ski hills? Yeah, like ski hills and traumatic upbringing and, you know, neglect and abuse and all that. The Shining. You've seen The Shining. Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're saying. <laughs> I used to love skiing. Ski? What? What? What, <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Have I actually never told you this? What am I going to say? Like, oh, I love contact sports. Tony, have I ever told you that? I love... Uh, spelunking. That makes no sense. You'd be a good spelunker, I think. Yeah, I'd be good at hitting the ground violently. Yeah, that's why they call it spelunking, right? Because when you hit the ground, it goes spelunk. Yeah, Yeah, that's the sound that you hear before you die (laughs) of spelunking. So dumb. Okay, so sorry. Somebody strapped you to a ski and pushed you down a hill unsupervised. And then gave you poutine? Is that what you're trying to tell me? That's right. And then I went back out on the ski hill to afterwards. This was my every Saturday for years. That makes no sense. I traveled all across Canada skiing. I skied in Newfoundland. I skied (laughs) out in BC. I skied in Quebec. (laughs) I don't even think you think I'm serious. (laughs) No, I don't. 
<laughs> well, what is this? You did this with your uh, biological mother? No, my foster parents. Oh, your your current foster parents. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, like, you skied with, like, a, a school of siblings? No, just me. Sometimes one of my foster brothers would go. Just wait. <laughs> 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 they'd bring Anthony to the ski hill every Saturday. I'm just going to keep making you have to like pull information out just to <laughs> yeah. make it seem ridiculous. Yeah, no, I ski by myself. <laughs> well, I just take the chair left. Yeah, yeah, you idiot. You never heard of skiing? <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, I, I was in like an adaptive ski program where when you start, you just, you're basically in a toboggan and someone just guides the toboggan down a hill. That sounds so safe. It's really fun. How many how many fucking wheelies died in the adaptive ski program? <laughs> the thing is, the, the toboggan that I started in, my first ski, it looked almost the same as the thing that they take you down and if you injure yourself on the ski hill. Mm-hmm. So, so many times I'd get to the bottom and people would like rush over me. I guess, here, okay. Yeah, because you look like a fucking piece of luggage. Yeah, you look like a corpse. Then, you know, <laughs> there's a movie called Class Action Park. It'd be funny if they made a sequel that's just about your holidays as a child called Class Action Cripple. <laughs> I loved skiing, man. I also went sailing a lot. I used to have a sailboat. <laughs> okay. And, oh, man, I've lived a life, Jamie. <laughs> you really have. I think I rode a horse once. Oh, yeah. Did you enjoy riding horses? No, it was terrifying. I'm sure horses are wonderful animals. Yeah. They always, they seem really cool. Nothing against the horse. No, of course mm-hmm. not. But it's really scary because you got to keep your center. You have to balance and have core strength. Yeah. If you're somebody with cerebral palsy for your whole life, someone is going to be hovering over your shoulder telling you to sit up. Wait, sorry. Can I just pause you for a sec? Sure. Can you have cerebral palsy for less than your whole life? <laughs> I mean, no. It has to be. Right? Theoretically, it has to be at birth, right? Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. I mean, you could have a stroke and be like a partial. Well, I don't think they call that CP anymore. Though. I, I know. I guess. But CP is like a, like a kind of stroke. I guess. Do you identify with stroke victims? Do you do you empathize with them? I don't know many stroke victims. Yeah, I don't want to sound like a one-up in you, but I also rode horses, and I hated it too. Yeah, very strange. Yeah. For me, a lot of it was just my legs didn't go that way. Yeah, because it's like, because you don't have the range of motion in your, like, in your hamstrings and your thighs. Yeah. So they're like, it's such a strange, like weird solution. It does sound like something that somebody uh, unnaturally obsessed with with horses would think. Like, ah, that little wheelchair bound person can't walk. We should stick them on uh, Black Beauty over there. Apparently, it is a very common thing to do for disabled kids. It's like put them on a horse because horses are calm creatures. It's therapeutic and the physical exertion is marginal, but not nominal. I don't know. I would much rather somebody just fetch me a cat from the attic. Yeah, but you can't ride your cat. 
I don't want to ride a cat. I don't want to ride anything. Don't put that in your Tinder profile. <laughs> Fuck off, Tony. Have you ever been on a roller coaster? I have not been on a roller coaster. I would love to go on a roller coaster, but I don't think I could. The one thing I think I could maybe do is drop zone, because you're not really getting thrown around. What is that the one where it goes up super high and then suspends and, in midair for a second and then plummets? Yeah. I was on that thing. I've never come so close to evacuating everything in my body. I don't want to. Can we cut, can we cut that? I, I was terrified. <laughs> oh, we're not cutting that. No, I was with a friend at, at the time who is, is notorious for his infectious laughter. <laughs> and he was laughing so hard at my like fear and pain. And... His laugh is so infectious that it was literally like quelling my fear. And it was just a terrible, confusing time. That sounds so fun. <laughs> Wait, was this at the Mall of America? Yeah, I told this story Yeah, before. you did tell this story. Yeah. It's okay. We could re- revisit the hits. Yeah, yeah. I have to tell that story repeatedly because there's no... I will never have another story like it because I'm never, ever going on another fucking ride of that nature ever again. Uh, you probably will. Well, I think you and I should do a cross-country trip uh, when there's the next lull in COVID and uh, and actually do some things that we wouldn't otherwise do. That would be super fun. I'm 100% down. I, I know I know that's basically like the script for like a life affirming cripple movie, the kind of movie that I would rail against for 90 minutes. We should do a live cripple threat tour and just record episodes from different hotel rooms. That would be fun. We'd have a lot to talk about, I'm sure. We'd have to we'd have to come up with a collection of attendants who like are who love traveling and who also don't have a fear of urinals. I don't think you're narrowing down attendance very much. No, those that's that's loose criteria. I don't. I've never met an attendant that's scared of a urinal, and I don't think I've met many people in general that don't want to travel. But yeah, that would be so fun. There are so many things I want to still do that I would also love to have a hand in forcing you to do. <laughs> what kinds of things do you think that you'd really want to do that I'd be hesitant to do? Oh, that's an interesting question. Like maybe visit some sort of like um, landmark that's important in the realm of cinema or video games. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. Like I was thinking more like out of fear or embarrassment or something like that. Not just boredom. But yeah, you're right. I would. It it would be a conversation. If you were like, let's go to the museum of video games, I would probably be like, well, let's see what else is around first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you 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 let me down nicely like that. I have a bit of a of a non sequitur from an earlier in the conversation. You were trying to say that you're not one of the SMA people who are smart. And I was thinking like, man, there's a reason it literally everyone who's close to you calls you uh, Tony Stark and not Chris or not Star Lord. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, not sure. entirely sure what it means, but I don't want to hash it out. I just don't take compliments well. I think being likened to Robert Downey Jr. is like a pretty big compliment because... Honestly, I think people call me that just because of my affinity for tech. 
No, it's like, but you also have acerbic wit. Acerbic. Yeah, you don't. You don't often like employ like uh, sharp, like cutting jokes, but the 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 capacity and the potential is there. Like you can kind of feel you pulling your punches sometimes when you have a joke that you know is at the core of your subject, and that almost like makes you funnier because you because you see the the full the full range of your jab and you pull back. Thank you. That is a very nice compliment. You are so ridiculously good with your words. I thought you were going to say ridiculously good looking. You are, but we went through that. Check out episode 50. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit, I guess we can't relive that uh, that clip, eh? I do want to rewatch. I don't want to... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me finish my compliment. Okay, fine. You, you are... The way that you speak, obviously, like, you have a very good vocabulary, which does contribute a lot. But the way that you think about what you're about to say is really inspiring because you... I can tell from conversations with you on here and conversations personally with you that like you speak with such a command of the English language that all of your compliments just really cut to the core because you really you really think about and you choose the perfect words. It's really impressive. You have like a writer's brain. I think that we both have the same desire to understand people closer to us because it's very helpful in a lot of ways for sure yeah so we 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 translate that desire to understand people using different language but we typically do pull from the same vat of of thoughts and ideas and you distill it into like a beautiful sentiment and i talk like an aloof surfer dude on his third day of weed binging I just said that you're not Chris Pratt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. You want to talk about a three-hour movie? Yeah, we, we should probably get into it because. I don't think it's going to take three hours to talk about this movie. It's not like it was loaded with really content. No, 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 no. So we watched the director's cut, which is important. Yep. Or like the extended edition yep. of Avatar. And mm. why, do you ask, did we watch an even longer version of a ridiculously long movie? So what happened was I had the movie, and I didn't even realize it was the extended version. So we started playing it, and we realized the quality wasn't great. So I went on Disney Plus to try to stream it there. And then we realized that the first like four minutes of the movie is gone. And that was all really content. Yeah. So they cut the the extended edition is like an additional twenty minutes. Yeah. You know, which is like a, like an episode of The Office. Like it's not trivial. Twenty minutes. Right. Um. And there's quite often, like that amount of time can be connective tissue or additional exposition that frames a scene or a character's motivation a little bit more clearly, but they decided to cut for time. And the really fascinating thing was that the bulk of what they cut from the extended edition for the theatrical cut was, um, was the scenes of the, our main character, Jake Sully. Jake Sully in a manual chair, like the, the scenes where he's not, you know, in a state of euphoric wish fulfillment running around as a big blue, um, me seeks, or sorry, Navi. So that was kind of funny. Like 
it's funny that even the editor thinks that the wheelie elements of the story aren't really that important. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. Um, the movie starts out with Sam Worthington basically giving a voiceover about how the world is not designed for people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And while he's giving this voiceover, he's also transferring to his manual chair. And honestly, I had to be like, wait, is that actually Sam Worthington? Because his legs and feet were my legs and feet. They were so real to me. Was it just me? Because when I saw those, I was like, "That's those are real, really legs and feet. I was wondering how they did that. Like if they um, if they used some kind of uh, green screen or something where they actually did have a disabled actor on set and and that they use the disabled actor for stunt legs and then that would be hilarious <laughs> and then they we should look at the credits to see if someone is just like as legs as legs yeah like they had some set designer on staff who happened to like be a quadriplegic and they and they're just like hey we need your legs but they definitely weren't Sam Worthington's no legs and you can't method act your your way into those legs i was gonna say that's so funny like imagine because I, I i kind of love there's been a uh a collective um opinion shift about the legitimacy or the craft or the amount of respect that we as viewers should attribute or ascribe to method acting and there was like a a piece in salon or vulture or one of those magazines about uh, Jeremy Strong, you know, the lead character from Succession and all the methodology that he goes through to play that particular role in which he's pretty much just the fail son of a, an egregiously rich uh, business mogul. And like the role itself, like the character... Wait, are you talking about Succession or Avatar? Success, sorry, I'm talking about Succession briefly okay. just to make a point. I'm just trying to say that that everything that Jeremy Strong goes through... Uh, it's kind of funny. It's so extreme that it makes you question if it's all kind of worth it. Yeah. Especially when it's like, oh, you're method acting a son of a rich guy. Whereas like method acting a disabled person, I I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Or method acting maybe like, you know, a character in a period drama where you, where you like, build the setting in your mind and you actually try to understand the the context of your motivations within that period and it actually does help the viewer disappear into the world because you're so committed to the role like there is obviously some legitimacy in an, in another actor's ability to pretend to be a character because that is literally their job or method acting if like you're doing a biopic yeah if you if you're uh, Jamie Foxx yeah. I, I'll never forget seeing Ray in the theaters. I was so, so good at He's the time. So but uh, I guess like the the funnier instances are when somebody's attempt at method acting actually reveals their their hubris and their distance from what it might actually mean to be a person or aka like, you know, connect with the audience. Wait, so is this based, do you think that Sam Worthington... Did method act those legs? 
No, I've I've gotten on. I've fallen off the beaten path here in my story. The, the the whole I was just trying to make a joke about how funny it would be if like Christian Bale's like sheer force of will as an actor was what cured disability because he had to revert a disability that he inflicted upon himself, like just to play, <laughs> you know, Batman with osteoporosis in The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, <laughs> like it's like. Some shitty like actor with poor temperament uh, will wills his way out of disability. Yeah, like makes himself disabled for the role, and then the real story is how does he learn to walk again? <laughs> yeah, I wonder if Christian Bale could convince, me, like, could teach me how to method act my way into being able bodied. Oh, that's the other thing. If Christian Bale was actually disabled in real life, yeah. but he was so good at method acting that he could trick us into thinking that he could yeah. walk. Yeah. I believe that, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And it's he like, is sitting a lot in Batman. He does sit like a lot. Like he's in true. the car, he's on the bike. Yeah. You know, I, and that's a long movie. It would be hard to stand that whole time with SMA. With SMA, yeah. Oh, that's an interesting uh, conspiracy theory that Christian Bale is a cripple. <laughs> <laughs> let's get it started. Okay, sounds good, yeah. Um, let's play a clip of what Sam's voiceover is at the beginning of the movie, just to give you a tone, because it does sort of like, it's a different tone than the rest of the movie, too. It's like a little bit darker and heavier than... A lot of like the movie has some dark, heavy elements, but overall, it's sort of like portrayed as this glossy animation. Yeah, the movie is never more solemn than when you're hearing the inner monologue of Worthington. Right. They can fix his spinal if you got the money, but not on vet benefits. Not in this economy. A VA check and twelve bucks will get you a cup of coffee. And what they call. So yeah, the opening shot of the extended cut basically is Sam Worthington in the street in a in a race oriented uh, manual chair, like it's meant for speed. Is what I what I meant. It's not like, yeah, it's angled wheels. Yeah, it's not like a, a, according to his skin color, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> his Asian wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the film opens with him in a cyberpunk dystopia and he's he looks like a beleaguered 30 something uh, battered wheelie and he's basically talking about how he served in the military and he experienced uh, jungle warfare what's that what's that called again like jungle warfare when it's like uh not as not structured or something gorilla yeah gorilla warfare thank you um but anyway so he is a, a vet who has minimal benefits and he's super depressed. Um, in the opening shots, like he lives alone. Um, he spends his time going to the to a local bar alone and drinking and getting into fights with um, at like the, the average uh, bar. Jabron. Bar Jabron. Yeah. Um, just to like, you know, assert his manliness. And he actually has a quote that talks about, like, oh, don't feel sorry for me. There's another little brief clip there. Let's get it straight up front. I don't want your pity. You want a fair deal? You're on the wrong planet. 
strong prey on the weak. It's just the way things are. Nobody does a damn thing. So this is something that he says to himself in his inner monologue right before he punches some guy in a leather jacket uh, at the bar who's been like harassing a woman. Yeah, he's basically feeling like he should be getting a girl instead of this drunk, abusive asshole. Yeah, so what he does is he grabs a bar stool, whacks the guy over uh, over the head. Then he gets like, you know, like the octagon leverage and he like goes down on the ground and hugs the crap out of him uh, until he submits, which I which is my read of every single UFC fight. It's just one big manly bear hug until someone decides they're sick of snuggling. Yeah, they're just... If you whisper, I love you, they top out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or if, like, you know, their cumulative body heat becomes uncomfortable, they, like, get up and stop napping together. If you want them to just stop the fight, you just whisper, you smell nice. <laughs> that probably works. Like, that's a very good strategy. I would totally recommend that. If you said that in a, a UFC fight, the guy would get so angered with you so angered oh for sure we should totally tweet that to dana white i think (laughs) you smell nice yeah yeah Mm -hmm. uh anyway so um this is trying to position sam worthington's wheelie as one who is stoic and um uh self-sufficient and not self but also a little bit jaded yeah super jaded uh potentially an alcoholic um depressed yep he doesn't really belong to the world he used to occupy, and he's just sort of displaced. Um, so he gets contacted by some corporation that's in the middle of a, a colonizing or excavating excavating exhibition on another planet. And they're like, hey, your twin brother scientist uh, who was superior to you in every way died, and but we like made an avatar using his genome and like the only other person who could use that avatar for the purposes of our project uh, is dead. So we need you to come in and take over the avatar and like basically replace your brother. So the, so an interesting thing for me is that like, he's like uh, Jake Sully in the human world is sort of disrespected by all sort of uh, groups that are presented in the film. Like he's got no training. He's, he doesn't really, he's like a bit of a misfit, right? Yeah. He has no scientific background. So the scientists who are studying the Navi on this, uh, extraterrestrial planet, um, they don't respect him because he doesn't have the prerequisites. And then the army thinks he's a joke. Like there's a, there's a brief scene where he gets off a, a Harrier jet uh, when he finally arrives on Pandora and two Marines see him and they make a really disparaging remark. So check this out, man. Meals on wheels. Oh, man, that is just wrong. So, I mean, obviously, Meals on Wheels, they think he's going to die very quickly or, you know, he's, something's going to de- like devour him. Uh, like, what were they thinking? Bringing a cripple to to this exhibition? Yeah, you should never bring a wheelie to a leg fight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it immediately positions the military as like sinister and evil and disrespectful in that. 
Yeah, like super misogynistic. Yeah, so this movie is like, you know, anti-imperialist. Um, even the scientists, like, they're constantly saying that they're so excited. Uh, once Jake makes a connection with the Navi a little bit later in the movie, like, they get a bunch of, a bunch of research boners because it means they're going to get closer to observing them and gaining their trust so they can figure out, like, what the science is behind the connectedness of... Um, the navi and all of their living things and and the the home tree that they that they call home i feel like people have seen avatar they totally have seen avatar i just think like so basically they the film positions the human characters as kind of ugly and you know jaded and uh slaves to uh neoliberal capitalism and blah 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 but the reason that Jake Sully is immediately a hero is because he doesn't actually belong and has been rejected by all of these people. Right. So that kind of resonates with me. Like it does sort of make sense why they would choose a wheelie or make him a wheelie. And the, the initial 20 minutes of the introductory 20 minutes of the film are a bit like they're obviously uh, worthwhile because you get, get a sense for how lonely he is at the start of the film and why he would accept this invitation to go replace his brother, despite the fact that he gets no respect from anyone involved, uh, just because he, like, as he says, like, this is a world for the strong and he is indirectly saying I am weak and my current existence is impractical in the environment that I occupy. It's kind of wild how much they treated him with, no kid gloves at all. Yeah. Like when he's at the bar and he gets into a bar fight, the bouncers yeah. literally throw him out like into the alley and then toss his wheelchair out after him. Like you would never see that happen in real life. No, like I kind of, a part of me, maybe a bad part of me respects the movie for, yeah. um, for like not treating the wheelie character with kid gloves. But also, as we have mentioned maybe tens of times by now, there is nobody more friendly than a drunk person at the bar. And I have never in my life met a bouncer who told me to leave. Yeah, of course. But have you ever pulled a bar stool out, on, from out, out from under a jabron and punched him in the face? Um, only once. It was really fun. And you didn't get kicked out? No, no. Everyone was impressed. They you have out. lived a life, Jamie. I really have. And then and then at the end of the night, I went skiing. That's so cool. I know. So, um, Avatar. I want to ask you this. To me, when I first saw this, first of all, it was the coolest thing at the time. Like, I was already super into animation. I was in school for computer art basically i've actually watched you like 3d model things before yeah i love it i know i was really impressed i I, that's when i decided that the moniker of tony stark like really did apply to you (laughs) if only i had a fabricator or whatever he had (laughs) a jarvis yeah i would love a jarvis you could tweet at uh paul bettany and just like ask him to be your attendant going forward Okay. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Um, after I tell Dana White, he spells this. Yeah. See, Paul Bettany has enough money, so he should retire and come with us on our road trip. That makes sense. Yeah, it seems 
seems like an easy sell. Yeah. But so I saw this. I remember, I remember vividly when I saw this in the theater, which to me isn't a thing I can say about many movies. Yeah. I, I don't remember. I, I've seen a lot of movies. I remember not many of them. Yeah. But this movie I remember because it was the first 3D movie I ever saw. It was in IMAX, and that's when I realized how cool IMAX is. And <laughs> it was just, it was when I realized, oh, movies can be like a full experience. For sure. And this movie is so cinematic. Every element in it is huge and over the top. But the thing that really got to me was I would love, at least I think I would love, to live in a world where I could lie in a coffin and like act out an avatar's life. Then again, I don't know, like the metaverse kind of also told me maybe I don't want that. But this movie made it seem really fun. Tony, can't you just get a sensory deprivation chamber? I would love to try that. Yeah, okay, so we'll do that on our road trip. Okay. But um, I have to agree, like I don't think we can really talk about a James Cameron movie without expressing some kind of reverence for the sheer spectacle yeah. of pretty much all of his movies. Right. Like you think about it, his back catalog, um, Titanic, the Terminator, Titanic, Terminator two judgment day, true lies. Terminator three. No, he didn't do Terminator. Terminator three. four. Shut up, Tony. Terminator five. He didn't do those Terminators. That's why they suck. Are you going to start naming Christopher Nolan movies too? Just no. Just irritate you? <laughs> Dunkirk, The Dark Knight, Prestige. Prestige is a good film. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. So like, good. And for, yeah, my 16-year-old self. No, no, no. We're Prestige. not talking about Prestige right now. Okay, but I told so many nope. people at this. <laughs> 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 all right. So, yeah, James Cameron, though. Like, I mean, for all his hubris and the stories about him being a complete, like, uh, disagreeable jackass on set. And I think there's also a story about a, a crew member of Titanic who actually gave him rat poisoning and just, you know, basically gave him an upset tum-tum uh, because he thought he was such a jerk. And That's when I, crazy. I know, isn't it? He he also I think has a tendency for either marrying or dating or fucking like all of his female movie stars. Uh, so I don't think he slept with Zoe Saldana, but I'm thinking more Sigourney Weaver and um, Sarah Hamilton. Maybe there's another one in there. I don't know if he slept with uh, 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 the woman who is in Halloween and subsequently True Lies. I don't okay, well, with her. let's talk about his art. Yeah, okay, we have to talk about his art. He's a very, very, very good filmmaker. He's also very good at at taking stories and distilling them to their most fundamental elements, but also, you know, um, pulling from archetypes that are immediately identifiable, but also nuanced enough that you, you want to engage with them as fully as he intends for you to engage with them. I mean, in defense of not defending James Cameron too much. Yeah. A lot of this movie's appeal is like industrial light and magic or whoever ended up doing the effects. Cause a lot of this movie's appeal is just the visual stun of how incredible the, the set is, the characters are, the lighting, the colors. It's phenomenal. But it's also like in 2022, 20, 
it's extremely refreshing to watch a predominantly 3D visual effects film that is not part of the MCU or any extended universe and that is visually coherent, that doesn't like climax in a giant sky beam or in our lead characters fending off like hordes of trash mob, like shitty indistinguishable enemies, like the military in this film and their arsenal and the ways in which the Navi interact and overcome them just on a visual standpoint and from a staging and choreography standpoint is just like intrinsically engaging as a, as a gamer, this is like the only film that's or one of the only action films that actually gives you the similar intrinsic reward of gameplay of being somebody with a controller who interacts with the virtual medium. And it was so hard to see where the CGI started and ended. Mm -hmm. You, the performances that come through from Zoe Saldana, especially, and, um, Sam Worthington is very good. He's kind of like a serviceable and generic enough audience avatar. But um, the performances that come through are at least as good as anything from Andy Serkis in The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even better. There are subtle moments of like flirtation and courtship between the Navi that work, I think, as well as they would have in live action. I don't think I've ever been as into a cartoon thing before Zoe Saldana took a drink out of a leaf as a blue person. And I was like, damn, that's sexy. Yeah. Yeah. There is something. I think the performances bring out more of the movie than might actually be there. But um, the other thing I wanted to mention too, and this is another aside that isn't related to disability. So you'll have to forgive me, but, Zoe Saldana has literally been part of, I want to say like at least three or four major uh, film series and like intellectual properties. So you have her as a lead character in Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, also a notable and good character. And then she she also was in the Star Trek reboot from what's his name that Spielberg clone uh, James. J.J. J. J. Abrams, that's the one. Okay, yeah. So Zoe's been in Star Trek and Guardians of the Galaxy and Avatar. She is a household name, but like she's not really talked about or discussed to the same level as other people who have appeared in the movies that she's done. And I I can't, for the life of me, figure out why that is. She's often not top build, right? Yeah, but I would say in Avatar, and I'm not being cheeky, I think her character doesn't really have much of an arc. Like she doesn't really grow or change her mind too, too much, except like, you know, with regard to whether or not Jake Sully is good for her tribe or not. So she doesn't really grow, but she definitely is one of the main reasons to watch the movie. Like I cared more about her than I did Jake or anyone else in the movie. And I don't think it's because of my superficial attraction to her. No, she's phenomenal. She's very, very good. I think the movie was written in a way where you want the same way Jake wants to get to know her and her life more. So she has this like... Mystery. Yeah, this intrigue. Uh-huh. And e- even by the end of the film, that that spell is not really broken. Like You no. still want to know what she's thinking or, you know, what makes her tick. 
I'm sure we'll find out in December when the next one comes out. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. That would be cool, I guess, if it did. Obviously, you can't talk about Avatar without... Okay, but wait, you didn't, even, you didn't answer my question. Do you think that you would want to live in a world where you could plug into some virtual world and live vicariously through an able-bodied avatar? That's a tough question. I want The easy answer is yes. But, you know, like I play a lot of video games and that's essentially escaping into a virtual world. Yeah, there was a moment during this movie where I was like, this is just the next generation of gaming. Right, yeah, this is like an advertisement for VR. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, I don't know, Tony, because it, it, would, de- it would depend how authentic you felt within that avatar. Yeah. And, and that raises some, some interesting philosophical questions because one of the running motifs of the movie is that characters are constantly leaving their biological bodies for some sort of either augmentation or equivalency. So either there are people who are occupying Navi avatars or there are military personnel who occupy mech suits and there seems to be this kind of like disdain or disregard for the for the natural body in favor of the navi because it's closer to nature and they are a more authentic tribal culture or something um or you know the mech suit in the eyes of the of the military because it makes them a more proficient soldier there's and I, like some uncomfortable ideas there, I think. Everything is backwards now. Like out there is the true world. And then here is the dream. So yeah, I think the the film sort of like very uncomplicatingly states that Jake is happier within his avatar. Because, you know, the Navi, for some reason, I'm not really sure why, the Navi decide to take him in and to yeah. teach him teach him their language and their customs and to help him obtain a horse and like, you know, a pterodactyl or whatever the fuck it is that they, that they fly around the world on. And so, you know, obviously he gets a sense of community and purpose with them because um, the military is trying to uh, pillage their soil for raw minerals, you know, like, like the U S does all across the world. And is basically trying to displace the Navi so that they can get at like all the goods. The hard to obtain. Yeah, the unobtainium mineral. That's literally what's called unobtainium. It's such a goofy name. It's really goofy. But apparently the biggest reserve of unobtainium is right underneath the Navi's home tree. Um, so Jake's initial assignment is to try to get the Navi to migrate away from their home, which of course, you know, they won't do. So I don't know, like, I don't agree with this idea that if I were able to leave my material body, that I would still be myself. You wouldn't, I don't think. I know I would definitely make up a whole new me. Especially if I was able-bodied, I'd have a different sense of everything. I'd, I'd feel like a whole new purpose. I'd feel a whole new person. I mean, it's a very ableist uh, perspective to think that a, if a disabled person were immediately given a Navi's body, that they would 
they would basically get drunk on the new mobility that they have. Do you not think that's the case? Well, I I understand the fantasy, but I do think that some aspects of the disabled self would still transfer over to the Navi body. Like you'd have a certain amount of physical illiteracy at first. Well, he was also paralyzed, so he still knew like how to walk. Right, which is kind of like a convenient uh, prerequisite of the character, I suppose. Yeah. But I just mean like, it's a, it's a little bit annoying that immediately after Jake leaves his crippled body, then his crippled experience, he never really draws from his crippled experience. So there's never yeah. a point, there's never a point as a Navi where he solves a problem because, because he used to be in a wheelchair or because he spends the other half of his life in a wheelchair. That's a great point. Yeah, I wonder what kind of problem would be interesting for him to solve. But it would it does, I guess, suggest that the writers, James Cameron, whoever, sort of threw that in as a this would be interesting. Imagine he was disabled and he was able to be in this world as an able-bodied person. Maybe you could argue that it makes him like a bit more zealous with his body because mm-hmm. he has so little on the line. That's, I think, what the movie does argue, that he has a bit of a death wish because he is fearless. Yeah, I think, I think Zoe Sadana tells him that he says you, you have a strong spirit and you're not afraid of anything. Yeah. And so that the origin of that lack of fear would be because he was a disabled person, which in the mind of an able-bodied person is one of the fir- worst fates that could befall you. Your life is irrelevant as soon as you become disabled. So obviously, if, you're, if you suddenly regain that physicality... You would be whole again. Yeah. It's such a bullshit thing, though. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm afraid of everything. but would you be if you could take cartwheels to your vaccine Mm, i I definitely have a little bit more swagger and confidence yeah you would also have less objectively less limitation yeah yeah i mean i i agree with what you're saying um it would be really interesting if they found some way to blend the two worlds rather than just have it as a dichotomy. They did kind of do that at the end where they end up bringing his avatar machine into the avatar jungle of Pandora. To keep it away from the military who would otherwise be constantly trying to disconnect him from his Navi body because he only represents a threat when he's a fucking Navi, which is bullshit. He should represent a threat because he's the hero. Because of his ideas and motivations, not his fucking body. Yeah. No, that's, that's a very good point. The other thing is, too, like, the movie gets boring when Jake's in his manual chair. I think it's intentional, no? I think it's so that we also feel like the Avatar world is the real world. Yeah, is what is what's, a, like, we want to get back there and it's alluring yeah. and stuff. Because they also have, like, the Avatar, the Pandora is saturated and beautiful and colorful and full of all these mysterious creatures and plants and all all this nature and then the yeah. real world is gray all of the military machines are gray like yeah i i don't know i would 
I'd be just as happy in one of those mech suits. That would be pretty fun. But they really sold those as super inferior to the Avatar world. Well, they, they're very clunky. They're clunky and they're gray and they're big. Yeah. It's like, it's like trying to exist in the world as a mobile refrigerator. I used to want to be a fridge when I grew up. <laughs> yeah, the bare minimum. Imagine the first model of like of like exoskeleton for wheelies. I thought you were going to say the first model of refrigerators. <laughs> no, I thought I was we were going to dive into like, what do you think it was like when the pioneers had to freeze things? <laughs> no, what am I, my dad? I don't care about that shit. <laughs> Um, but anyway, like I, I was just thinking, like imagine if the first exoskeleton was like a popsicle sticks taped to your wrist. <laughs> they put some fishing line on them. <laughs> it's all connected to your face, so when you smile, your hands go up. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, so we should do Pinocchio for the next movie. Do you think that this was a disability movie? Like, of course it was. There was a disabled guy in it. It didn't feel like they really, sort of as you've alluded to, they didn't really use that much. I think they used the disability angle to either apologize or eschew accusations of being like a white savior film. Right. Yeah, because they're like, uh, Sam Worthington is not like a white privileged asshole. He's actually just a dejected veteran with no place in the world. Um, who becomes the leader of a more virtuous society because of all the fear and adversity embedded in him from having become a wheelie. Also, the movie has very ableist stakes, right? Like in the maybe end of the first act or so, Yeah, the military dude is like, hey, check it out. Son, I take care of my own. You get me what I need, I'll see to it you get your legs back when you rotate home. Your real legs. <laughs> your real legs. That sounds real good, sir. He literally points to his legs. Yeah, when yeah he says yeah. that. <laughs> I was just about to say, did you know my legs are fake, Tony? Like they're made of flesh and blood, but they're not real. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, they're as soon as your legs are atrophied in any way, they're synthetic. If you can't stand on them, are they legs? <laughs> if a leg falls in the woods, <laughs> is it still a leg? If your spine has scoliosis, is it a spine? <laughs> oh, that's good shit. Uh, but yeah, wouldn't it be funny if that suddenly got real, like, homo or homophobic? What? Like, he's like, don't worry about it, son. You infiltrate the Navi. I'll get you a real, I'll get you a 12 inch cock. <sighs> not, like, a real dick. Yeah, not that crippled dick, you know, a real hog. <laughs> That's what I'm good at, son. That's why I joined the military. I don't know where to go from here. Um, Sorry, Tony. I always stump you with random dick jokes, right? Sorry, I'm a dumb uh, post uh, vaccine blonde. You're just going to use that online, eh? I am. Anytime a joke doesn't land. I have my vaccine today. <laughs> I had my booster. <laughs> what the? Okay, so there were other points, though. So, yeah, like, it has ableist stakes because 
Jake Sully's like, you know, if I don't, if I don't oppress Zoe Saldana, I'm not going to get my real legs back, which of course would motivate anyone in the audience. I mean, to be fair, I do love playing devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. And if you were like, hey, all you got to do is displace a whole species. But at the time, <laughs> he thought it was the same as being like, you got to kill a few spiders. All you got to do is a Christopher Columbus and you get to walk <laughs> like, like that's a terrible wheel breakers. All you got to do is the next war in Afghanistan. It, one podcast suggested that the, that I listened to called Chapel Trap House has a whole episode about how the Navi's home tree is actually the world trade center. And this movie is about the hypocrisy of a post nine 11 United States when all we do is go to other countries and commit 9-11s all over the place? Yeah, I don't think that's far off. Uh, Pretty sure James Cameron came out and said at one point that this was an allegory for the war on terror. Yeah, so it's pretty clear. Even like Sigourney Weaver has a spiel about, you know, the military having unjust wars and, and provoking conflict as an excuse to pillage for natural resources and blah, blah. So the, I, re- I don't remember where it was, but there was some part of the world that had some political unrest. And to protest, they dressed up as Navi. Really? Yeah. That seems uh, tedious. I mean, the Blue Man Group does it. True. Yeah. But I'm still resentful, Tony, that all the scenes in which Sam Worthington is in a manual chair are boring the movie makes a point of the fact that he's literally not interested in taking care of his disabled body anymore once he becomes a Navi. Like, he'll wake up out yeah. of his cryo chamber, and Sigourney Weaver will be like, you need a sandwich and a wank, and you need some water. And he's like, I don't want neither. It's because you don't have a real dick. Yeah. She's like, you haven't shaved or showered, and you're losing weight at a rapid pace. Like... Your 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 disabled body's dying, and he's like, "I don't care, bitch." I ate one of those purple apples on Pandora. <laughs> yeah, and then he's like, "I got to go back and uh, lock hair with Zoe Saldana." Oh yeah, I And I gotta weave my dreadlock together with hers and roll the, my eyes to the back of my head and yeah. have a non a non sex scene. That's why he doesn't need a real dick. He's got hair. Yeah, yeah, he's got long hair. That's why he's not shaving, too. He's hoping those little things come out of his hair. What if you have... Okay, so is male pattern baldness in the Navi world also, like, erectile dysfunction? Oh, yeah, good point. And, like, if you're really bad, you commit a crime, they give you a haircut. Oh, no, yeah, they shave your head. Fuck, dude. And you have to go back. Maybe that's how you know if you're sexually immature in the Navi world. If your hair grows tentacles. I was going to say, I think if you were a Navi, Tony, you'd have to lock hair with your mate, like by your mustache. I could do it. Yeah. If you were a Navi, (laughs) you'd have to. For some reason, your mustache is really important to me. Thank you. (laughs) Next time I shave it, I'll send you some. (laughs) Send me some. Our listeners finally get a chance to... Get a glimpse of what I was like when I used to drink. It's almost like you're secretly asking people to ask you to break your sobriety. No, I'm not. I'm asking them to tell me to get more boosters. 
But I don't think the world. I think the world will force that upon you at some point. Hey, that's but very he, true. It, you you are right on this like ableist train that you're on. Yeah. The most exciting part of the second act to try to like get you invested in the world is while he's like he gets in there and he starts to get full command over his body and there's this little like scene of him running around sliding around on leaves as Davy do and it is very uh, here's the tone of it I guess I feel you getting tougher I can run farther every day I have to trust my body to know what to do Every day it's reading the trails, the tracks of the waterhole, tiniest scents and sounds. So it's, it's very much like, check it out. And, and you're supposed to be cheering for him. The music is grandiose. You're like, oh, the world is your oyster now. You're able-bodied. Yeah. You can do anything you put your mind to. You can do anything you put your mind inside of a vessel that represents a indigenous person yeah <laughs> it is weird that they basically have sex with their dragons to fly them they do imagine you had to like put your dick in a motorcycle to start it up <laughs> there's, a, there, there's a moment too when they lock dreads with their with their dragons and like you can see the moment in which the navi's mind has intercepted that of the dragon and they're like, oh shit, I better do what they tell me. It's yeah. like kind of it's kind of disturbing. Oh, it's really gross. Yeah. It, it, they, they sort of tee it up as this sentimental moment that you're gonna share with the dragon where you've both mutually consented to being soulmates. But then basically the dragon tries to fight him. He conquers it, penetrates it with his hair. And then basically goes, you're mine now, take that. And even then the dragon kind of is like, I don't really like this, but I guess this is my life now. It's like a weird wrestling match that ends in penetration. Yeah. It's very weird. So the movie's not perfect. And I wanted a scene with Sam Worthington in his manual chair where he has to solve like maybe fend off some soldiers or even have the final climactic fight um outside of the navi suit oh that is interesting because i remembered that the, i thought that happened i remembered the end of this movie as the convergence of uh the, the buff military dude in the mech suit coming to the trailer and I must have mixed it up with another movie because I was fully ready for uh, a fight where they were basically, the two worlds were switching back and forth. But that's not really what happened. There was a moment where he gets smashed and he starts to lose his consciousness because he, he's getting air or not air. But I, I really thought that there was a, a moment, and I agree, it would have been way better if there was. I thought there was this, fight scene where they were like battling and Sam was 
actually disabled for some of the battle. Mm -hmm. I don't know what movie I'm mixing it up with. Yeah, I wanted something like that. Or maybe there could have even been a scene where Sam is a Navi and he gets into a conflict with the military and he prevails. But one of his comrades or whatever, fellow Navi, gets a bullet to the spine. And then it takes a while for the giving tree to like uh, to repair the disability. So in the interim, he has to kind of teach him how to get around in some sort of chair apparatus. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that would be cool. Yeah, like, I, I'm pretty good at this. Just angle your wheels in a bit and you'll go faster. Yeah, or like just him being like, you know what? It's not the end of the world. Like we can figure this out. We're going to transport you properly. The thing is, I think he was in a mental place where he thought it was the end of the world. And they never really resolved that arc. The arc no. of him being like, oh, I actually, in fact, the end of the movie goes in the complete opposite direction and gets really ableist. Oh, my God. It's the most ableist thing in the world. Yeah. So at the, at the end of the movie, they have this like tribal ceremony to transfer uh, Sam Worthington from his disabled body over to his Navi body permanently without the like the cryogenic sensory deprivation chamber so basically they want to eliminate his human half and i i thought it would be really funny if they have a scene at the end of the film where they literally like throw his disabled body into a ditch <laughs> and it just ragdolls like as it plummets down into like a pile of dinosaur manure or something or they <laughs> they throw it into like some still remaining human trash compactor and you just hear like beep beep as it like closes and turns him into mulch or it's like a flash forward 10 years and a tree has grown out of his body <laughs> it's a disabled tree yeah yeah it's got like scoliosis and the branches are all twisted around a synthetic legs but it's skiing <laughs> and it has a great mustache Thank you again. I appreciate it. No problem. You're so good with compliments. I know. It's what I specialize in. I'm not. Um, <laughs> that's why I'm not giving you any. <laughs> I So yeah, so we like this movie as a piece of entertainment. And like when you challenge your inner 14-year-old, but also there's a bunch of problems with it. And it totally piggybacks off of like a wheelie archetype to try to sell some of its shittier ideas and blah, 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 blah. I guess the original theatrical release doesn't, isn't guilt as guilty, right? Because the, the extended release sets the tone of the ableism a lot more. Just by not exploring Sam's disabled life? Yeah. That's like saying a movie's less racist by just not devoting as much time to its black characters ineptly or something. No, it's like saying the movie's the last racist by cutting out some of the racist elements. <laughs> Game set and match, Tony. <laughs> but yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Like, it is, it is really good to explore and I'm glad we watched the extended release. But... I guess what I'm saying is I understand why they might have cut that stuff out. 
because it probably would be easy to see it and maybe have no. a little bit more of it. You disagree. Tony. Tony, it's because it thinks that the wheelie parts of it are boring. That's why. You think so? Yeah, because it thinks that being disabled is lame. And of course, it is, but not in the way that the movie pauses. <laughs> you should just end it. And of course, it is. <laughs> <laughs> James Cameron gets it, man. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> a movie that sees how lame it is to be disabled. <laughs> but here's the thing. If they used stunt legs that is deeply offensive because it implies that they did have a disabled stunt person on set and that they didn't think that this disabled person's face was movie worthy or acting yeah i mean to be fair sam doesn't do a whole lot of acting no like they could have cast a piece of toast as sam and they would have gotten like you know as Unique or wait, wait, engaging like, a performance. What kind of bread? Uh, I'm not very familiar. I guess rye bread. Okay, I'll settle for rye. Yeah. Yeah. But honestly, like, there's nothing really that special about Sam Worthington as proven yeah. by time because he was literally given the Terminator franchise and <clears throat> is not, like, iconic because of it. I don't feel like I've seen another movie. Maybe you can remind me, but... I felt like my legs have been more seen in this movie than any other movie. Same as my feet. We've talked about our feet a lot on this podcast, and that might be the most true-to-form representation of my feet available. That's like the... Okay, so you're saying that the feet that they used uh, for Sam Worthington were very real and unabashedly so. And, it, and I'm offended that they were cut out of the theater. Yeah. But I guess you wouldn't want to see that on IMAX. No, but they do a similar kind of stunt with Jake Gyllenhaal in the Jake Gyllenhaal Boston Bomber movie. They do a, a, a stunt, but he doesn't have atrophied feet. No, well, they CGI his bottom half in some cases, or they do a green screen. Yeah, they CGI one of his legs out. <laughs> Oh, yeah. But anyway, so they do a similar kind of thing. It's the objectification of a wheelie. It be, it would be like if uh, before Christina Hendricks was famous, they didn't think she would, would be a good leading lady. So they had uh, Salma Hayek in a role and just used Christina Hendricks tits or something. <laughs> it, like that's like, <laughs> that's, it's the same shit. I'm sure that they've CGI'd bigger boobs onto actors. For sure, for sure. Credit to this movie for not really objectifying the Navi, though. That's true. I mean... I think Zoe Saldana was sexy more for, like, her oeuvre than, like, her body. What is oeuvre? Oeuvre is, like, her vibe. Okay. Yeah. Can I finish my point? Oh, so I thought you were done. I think I did finish my point. Yeah, Zoe Saldana is sexy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's your point. <laughs> it sure is. I guess I'm getting distracted. I got my booster! <laughs> wow, well, I feel like we covered everything. Surprisingly, it wasn't three hours. Yeah, it was. we did it much more efficiently than the film itself. Maybe James Cameron should give us one of the Avatar sequels, and we can focus on Jake Sully before he became Avatar Man. If I were to give you one of those Avatar sunbathing things... Yeah. 
What would you do? I don't know. I'd have a crisis after a while because I'd I'd probably spend like the first year or two just like drunk on the the new mobility and all the cool shit I can do. Um, but then there are parts of me that would go undernourished uh, that uh, I would eventually have to atone to. Yeah, I might get addicted to it. You would. We would totally. I think I would. Yeah, there's a definite. We should do that episode of Black Mirror. Yeah, let's let's call Charlie Booker right now. Okay. After we tweet at Paul Bettany. And Dana White. Do you want to do a wheel breaker? I forgot to load the wheel breaker intro music because we haven't done wheel breakers in a while. Um, what does it go like? <laughs> Wheel breakers. Perfect. We should get my dad to do the wheel breakers announcement for season two. Could you actually? I think it would be, he would do it because he's kind of goofy like that. But I don't know. Would we be making fun of him? Not if you tell him what it's for. Yeah. I don't think he would Does get he it. Know, he, he knows that you do an impression of him. He do, I do it in front of, yeah, he laughs. He thinks. Yeah. You think because he's a cheeky fucker just like me, so <clears throat> he's just like, haha, you're you have the same humor I do, kind of thing. Yeah, just get him to say real breakers. I guess it's not a fair thing because he doesn't do an, uh, an impression of me like in return, right? Well, he doesn't want Sopranos that much. No, wheel breakers. All right, Jamie. I'm going to make you able-bodied, right? Yep. This is one that I was inspired by in the last episode, and we didn't get to do a wheel breaker. So remember how in the upside, uh-huh. Brian Cranston needs help uh, evacuating his colon, and the way that Kevin Hart is expected to do that is through digital stimulation. That seems so weird. It sounds like there's a phone on your app that will make you poo. I know digit refers to... to it's just thing. whale sounds. <laughs> yeah. Like when I need to go to sleep, I put on digital destimulation. Right. Yeah. So what if I could make you fully able-bodied, but you needed a friend to be in the room with you, staring right down the barrel every time you pooped? Like we have to lock eye contact? Yeah. Do I get to choose the friend? You have to go through at least seven different friends per week. I don't have seven friends. You're going to have to make some poop friends. <laughs> some poop friends. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's just one part of your day. The rest of the time, you're fully able-bodied. You can be whoever you want, however you want, live wherever you want. No limitation. But anytime you feel that urge, you're going to have to go find a friend. The thing is, the number of people who have locked eye contact with another human being while defecating has to be in the single digits in real life. I've done it. No, you haven't. I actually have. I've lived a life, Jamie. And this was when you had to take a dump in that popcorn bowl? So, this is too much information. Don't don't answer the question. Don't answer the question. Yeah. Um, I think if I became bold enough to shit while locking eye contact... There's like almost no limit to the risks that I could that I would then take 
Yeah, your confidence would be through the roof. Oh, yeah. Like, I would never struggle uh, on a first date ever again. But what if it just made you more constipated? Because every time you had to take a dump, you'd look at someone and you're like, I just don't know if I can bring myself to it right now. That's the thing. You got to shit or get off the pot. Like, if you don't poo, you're going to die. Yeah, I guess eventually it would force its way out. This is a bleak wheel breakers. Why? <laughs> because it's just like, I'm able-bodied, but I never poop alone ever again. Do you value your alone poop time? I mean, it's one of the most fundamental pleasures of life. I'm sorry. Really? <laughs> okay, fine. I'll pretend it isn't. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> I wouldn't consider it. If, if someone's like, I'm going to take away pooping from you, <laughs> I wouldn't be like, my one true love. <laughs> well, but like, it's particularly hard for you. Fair. But I also don't, even when it wasn't, <laughs> like, it's just fine. It's it's okay. Yeah, like, I'll admit I've had some good poops. So I'm like, that was nice. Like, and I want to like, call in my friends and be like, yo, check this one out. You think Forrest McNeil would give pooping two stars out of five? Who's that? You know that comedian that does that show, Review with Forrest McNeil no. on Comedy Central? It's like very funny. It's kind of a spiritual sibling to Nathan for you. Oh, really? Yeah, you need to watch that shit. What are you doing with yourself? Anyway, I would decline your wheel breaker because I can't, I can't even, I, I, I have shy everything without locking eyes with someone while shitting. Yeah, but wouldn't you just eventually get over that? No, and I think it would traumatize all of my friends. They would be like... No, just seven friends. No, their lives would never be the same because they're like, fuck, I have to join Jamie every time he has to take a shit. I think your friends would lock eyes with you to poop if they knew what it meant to do you. They get to, do they get to wear like some sort of nostril pluggers? Well, they don't have to be that close. <laughs> you have twenty twenty vision. You can lock eyes from across the room. No, I, I can't. No, the answer is no, Tony. No, no, okay. no, no, no. Good. You know what? Sometimes I like when you say no to my wheel breakers because it shows me that you don't think that your disability is a complete end-of-life crisis. Yeah, thank you. Because sometimes, you know, I, especially near the beginning, you said yes to some of my more bizarre wheel breakers, and it made me go like, it's not that bad. It, it, it depends if it would be funny to say yes, or if it speaks to some, like, major character flaw. I think it would always be funny to say yes. Well, I suppose that's a rule of improv. Yeah. Like, the people that say no at improv, they just don't end up doing anything. <laughs> I don't think that, yeah, I think you get kicked out. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, you want to hear my wheel breaker? Yeah, what is it? Hit me with it. All right, so you get to be 100% able-bodied. Yep. But you have to be a Navi, which means that you have to live outside permanently. No technology. You have to ride around on dragons and contend with weird lion-like creatures that are constantly um, threatening your well-being and sources of food. And so, yeah, you can only have sex through your dreadlocks, which means you have to have dreadlocks, which is kind of shitty. Honestly, like, all I'm hearing is... You get no, to be able the kicker. Bodied. The kicker. Oh, okay. What's the catch? Your 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 avatar looks exactly like Paul Giamatti. Yes, you again. That doesn't. All I'm hearing you say is 
you get to be wait, but wait, Paul Giamatti like now? I mean, really, Paul Giamatti whenever. Like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm trying to figure out how agile I'll be. He's never struck me as an agile person. No, he hasn't. For some reason, I feel like it's okay to make fun of Paul Giamatti and his body shape. And why do you think that? I don't know because he's made a name for the basis of his fame is completely non presentation based, obviously. So let's talk about his presentation. Yeah, let's just be completely unsympathetic to people who are minorly um, ugly from a celebrity beauty standpoint. <laughs> I feel like it should be the opposite. Like, if you've made a name for yourself as being fat, then we can talk about you being fat. But if you've tried to make a career, like if I made a comedy career or any kind of career trying to avoid talking about my disability, and then people kept bringing up my disability... I'd be like, can't we just not talk about that? But I've made a career and the podcast and like all my life is sort of centered around my disability because, I mean, let's face it, I'm not escaping it. Well, I mean, Giamatti made a career out of being a pool boy in Lady in the Water and uh, a TV producer in The Truman Show. I'd like to build billions. Uh, I don't like that. That show's dumb. Yeah, but he's cool in it. <laughs> Billions is I. Uh, I like it. He has he has some interesting like he's got like some kinks that play. I don't know. I, I like his character. You like his kinks? I like that he has kinks. So so if <laughs> if you were Paul Giamatti's avatar, you would be a kinky billionaire. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm sorry. Uh, let me play it out. So, <laughs> first of all. Being an Avi seems pretty fun. Second of all, you tried to say, if I was an Avi, like I wouldn't get any tech. That's fine. Because I think the part of me that loves tech is the disabled part of me. Oh, so so you don't think any part of that disabled love of tech would carry over once you became a Navi? Well, there'd be so many other things to explore. Like if I became able-bodied, I, I think I would start like rock climbing and hiking and skydiving and bungee jumping oh that's so boring that's not boring that's really boring i i would just do i do simple things like go for walks and grab stuff off the high shelf and take showers for as long as i want and you can still do a lot of those things okay fine you can go for a walk yeah you wouldn't spoil luck i'd be so excited to like eat something and not worry about slopping it all over my shirt Oh, yeah, I'd be excited to, like, chew a steak again. Yeah. I would eat so much food. I might become Paul Giamatti, actually. <laughs> it's just, like, the idea of you being this, like, this, like, beautiful, immaculate creature or a member of this, like, ornately, um, what's the word? Blue. Yeah, ornately blue creature. And then you're in the shape of Paul Giamatti. Is this funny? That is funny. You just like, you come out and you're naked and... You're like beer bellies hanging over. You like try to get on your dragon and the dragon's like wincing. Yeah. You you get up out of your cryo chamber and it looks like you need to put on some pants and do your taxes. <laughs> I'm sure Paul Giamatti has had many chances to have a more 
visually appealing physique, <laughs> but he's chosen not to be because because he has run it. Two back-to-back episodes of you fat-shaming celebrities. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I just it doesn't seem like he has a thyroid issue or a confidence problem or mental health issues surrounding his surrounding his weight. I, maybe maybe he's just fine with it, and then people like you are the ones <laughs> bringing him down. Probably, but he's I just think sitting at home reading a comic book, and then he hears a podcast. Someone sends him of you just being like, imagine you were fat, like Paul Giamatti. <laughs> would you live or would you rather be your disabled self? <laughs> oh, I'm such an asshole. <laughs> you had your booster. I did. I did. Jesus. No one said that um, Pfizer caused Paul, G- <laughs> Paul Giamatti-ism. <laughs> I think I would take it, to be honest. Yeah. Can I work on my weight as a Navi? Or am I just like destined to the Paul Giamatti body? The, the, only, the only thing is that if you if you worked on your weight, then Hollywood wouldn't offer you any character actor roles. Wait, I'm confused. Am I Paul Giamatti <laughs> or am I a Navi with the shape of Paul Giamatti. No, I'm just saying you'd have the same motivations that Paul Giamatti would have for remaining fat. <laughs> I'm like, where's Pandora's Hollywood? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when can I be the lead in that new Charlie Kaufman movie about the screenwriter who can't write the screenplay? <laughs> yeah, I would take it. I honestly think, like, I love everything. I love trying everything. I, I like to say yes. The movie Yes Man changed my life. <laughs> Isn't that the one where where <laughs> where where Jim Carrey bones uh, Zoe Zoe Chanel? Yeah, that seems like a crazy. Oh my goodness, she was such a crush, like one of my first celebrity crushes. Really? Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. It was Paul Giamatti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like so. I love trying new experiences. And, uh-huh. you know, I also enjoy trying my version of an experience. Like, someone say, hey, you want to go mini golf? And I'll go and, like, you know, try to, or bowling or whatever, as long as I'm with someone who's okay with the looks and the comments of, oh, a nice try. It's okay. That's what people do to you at mini golf? Yeah. Or bowling, I'll be like, I'll hit one pin or a gutter and people will still come. Oh my God. Yeah. But <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I want to try every experience. So as an avatar in a Navi world, there'd be a whole new, I'd, I'd unlock a whole new tier of experiences. Get to try that purple fruit, maybe wrestle a hairless coyote, jump on a rhino or whatever that thing, or whatever those are. Yeah, I have some good <laughs> <times>. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is if you became able-bodied, you'd go wrestle oversized lizards. Correct, yeah. <laughs> okay. If if we can learn one thing from this podcast, it's that there aren't there aren't enough lizards for me to wrestle. <laughs> I think I had a booster too. I think you did, yeah. You you must have had the Johnson and Johnson. Um do you want to give a quick uh, Patreon update? Uh, no, you go ahead. <laughs> Supposed to be yes and, Jamie. 
Oh. Um, no. <laughs> imagine, imagine, imagine I just said bye. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> the Patreon is updated. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> Give us money. What? Don't waste my time. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks again. Take care. See you later. <laughs>